Welcome to Golf on the Fringe, a podcast researched, written, and narrated by Connor T. Lewis and sponsored by the Society of Golf Historians. Golf on the Fringe is a collection of short stories, which I believe will be big topics. From forgotten champions to stolen majors, Golf on the Fringe are the stories lost to golf history. Today's story is actually a continuation of the rhetoric we hear about the game today. The problem with history is that sometimes we view it with blinders on. We seem to believe that the game was once easier, purer, and played faster than the game we play today. Today on Golf from the Fringe, we will talk about the history of slow play and the effects over the last 80 years to curb it. In the piercing light of the 24-hour news cycle and the power of social media, the microscope on golf's hot topics can be fierce. Whether it was J.B. Holmes on display at the Open or Bryson DeChambeau in the FedEx Cup playoffs, the general observer may think that slow play in golf is a modern issue, when in fact the written word on the issue goes back over 150 years. This podcast is not designed to promote slow play, but rather illuminate its history and its failed efforts to curb it. As the ruling bodies of golf shine the spotlight on fixing this issue today, I ask you only to consider the words of yesteryear. To give you just a snapshot of how big of an issue it's been, even in recent times, from 1960 to 1989, there are over 170,000 references of slow play in periodicals on the PGA Tour alone. Many of these articles, much like those I'll share today from 1936 to 1956, speak to the issue of slow play and the USGA and PGA Tour's ability, or lack thereof, to stop it. Our first article comes from the January 12, 1936 edition of the Cincinnati Inquirer. The headline reads, Slowpokes must speed up or lose tournament standing. New York, January 11, AP. Golfing slowpokes were threatened with disqualification in tournament play today by the Championship Committee of the United States Golf Association. John G. Jackson, chairman of the committee and president-elect of the United States Golf Association, sounded the warning in his 1935 report to the annual meeting of the United States Golf Association. Quote, the committee takes this occasion to give notice that slow play by certain competitors in championships will not be tolerated in the future, Jackson reported, and that it will take appropriate steps, including disqualification, if necessary, to ensure fair play to competitors who play at the customary speed, unquote. Jackson mentioned no names in his report, but unofficially, his attitude was traced to the delays caused by Freddie Haas of New Orleans the 1935 Western Junior Champion, and Joe Lynch of Boston, former Georgetown star, in the Amateur Championship in Cleveland last year. Before he gained confidence and fame, Lawson Little, twice winner of the British and American Simon Pure Crowns, was one of the slowest players among amateurs in this country. He still is a deliberate shot maker, but he now plays with much more rapidity. On June 2, 1936, The Guardian of London published an article called Slow Play in Golf. 
the Executive Committee of the United States Golf Association recently gave notice that the penalty of disqualification might be the lot of slow play competitors in future USGA championships. Commenting on this decision in a recent issue of one of our British golf journals, a writer adds, Here in our own country, the snail-like pace of some players is becoming almost a menace. We have known occasions when the whole course has been held up in an amateur championship by a couple of men who have converted reasonable and sensible deliberation into positive vice. Competitors in the British Amateur Championship at St. Andrews last week would endorse every word of this stricture on slow play. On the opening day, to add to the inevitable discomforts of rain and bitterly cold northeast wind, many players were involved in a long and exasperating holdups. J.H. Tolley, for instance, suffered a 20-minute wait on the 12th tee during his first-round match of the Monday morning. When eventually he drove, his hands were so cold that he could not feel the club properly, with the result that he pulled his shot into the middle of a gorse bush. Others were having equally annoying experiences owing to the fact that certain players were walking forward to study the line before almost every shot. No longer tolerable. When H.H. Hilton won the corresponding championship at St. Andrews in 1901, the record entry of 116 players. This year, the entrance numbered 268. Obviously, it is no longer possible to treat the excessively slow player with the leniency exercised when championship fields were much smaller. The slow player may feel that disqualification is a harsh penalty, but he ought to remember that it is a handicap to the majority of the competitors whereas some of the offenses for which disqualification is now imposed are technical and even trivial, inasmuch as they do not impair the chances of other competitors. A minority of golfers may be unable to do themselves justice unless they are exceedingly slow. More often, however, one suspects that slow play is simply a bad habit resulting from a lack of consideration for others, and players of this type who were forced to quicken their pace might be surprised how little their game had suffered by the change. Some, in fact, would probably play better golf when over-deliberation was no longer possible. In 1936, the ruling bodies of golf talked about enacting the harshest penalty for slow play, instant disqualification. Fourteen years pass before our next article, is published in the September 1st, 1950 edition of the Detroit Free Press with the headline, Blame Americans, Slowpoke Golf Draws Blasts from the British by John Barrington. The British, who still take a proprietary interest in the game they invented, will admit that the world's best golfers nowadays do not hail from their island kingdom. About the only Lynx magician who can still shoot consistently in the same class with the best American professionals is Bobby Locke, the South African. The benickered Locke keeps a bit of golfing glory in the larger British family, but even he is subject to the biggest criticism that British voice about the way the game is played today. Most of our golfers say the British play so eternally slow. That goes double for Mr. Locke, for whom the term snail's pace seems to have been invented. The Brits insist that golf as it is played in the United States is so slow that it's really a frightful bore and they complain that the habit is spreading to Britons who have studied the more successful Americans. Critics of slow play readily admit 
that the infinite care and study of every shop may produce better results, but they complain that the quest for new heights of skill is spoiling game as a spectacle and a pastime. In other words, the suggestion is that some sort of premium should be placed on the ability to get around the course speedily, as well as in the minimum number of strokes. The British Amateur Tournament this year turned out to be a rather aggravating affair from a British standpoint, being completely dominated by U.S. golfers and winding up an All-American final. Adding to the irritation was the leisurely pace at which the contest traveled. There was bickering over this point all during the tournament, and it reached its height when Big Bill Campbell was stiffly reprimanded by the tournament committee for his slowness. Such warnings were no new experience for Campbell, who is notoriously fussy on the links. But Campbell insisted he just couldn't play any faster because he was unaccustomed to hurrying through his chores. One British sports writer got so upset by the fiddle-dee-dee -dee tactics that he took a healthy swing at the practice in his column and charged that, quote, because of slow play, golf is in danger of becoming a degrading farce. Let me interject a moment. Before we overreact at the slow play of the Americans in the 1950 British Amateur, please pay careful attention to this next part of the article. Another American of whom there was criticism was Dick Chapman, former U.S. Amateur champion, who averaged about three hours and 40 minutes to get around the old course at St. Andrews. That was considered about one hour and 20 minutes too long. Let me interject again. I'm not sure if you caught that. The expectation for an 18-hole round of competitive play at the old course at St. Andrews back in 1950 was 2 hours and 20 minutes. All things are relative. The article continues. However, few of the slow pokes can hold a candle to Bobby Locke, who studies the conformation of virtually every blade of grass from tea to green. It pays off in sometimes uncanny accuracy, but it often pays off also in wholesale jitters for opponents and spectators. In one British tournament, two well-known golfers of another generation, George Duncan and Percy Arliss, played 18 holes in an hour and 50 minutes. Directly behind them, in the next twosome, was Bobby Locke. He played only 15 holes, but took three hours and 50 minutes to do so, nearly twice as long as the two old-timers, one of whom could have spotted him 40 years and the other 30. The argument is a little compulsion would soon speed up the game without real detrimental results. Nobody seems to question that a player should get all the time in the world to line up a crucial shot, but there are times when merely standing over the ball doesn't improve the play at all. Slow golf has spread even to the duffers, who take so long nowadays to play their Sunday round of golf that anyone who is a bit pressed for time, might as well give up hope of playing a complete round. It isn't right to say the British. Who ought to know? After all, they invented the game in the first place. Three years later, on November 12, 1953, Detroit Free Press published an article called Golfers Getting Old, How Tame Can PGA Get? Look at the Issues. Fireworks, a normal feature of the annual PGA meetings in the past, were completely missing from Wednesday's session at the 1953 Conclave. 
hottest topic covered by delegates in the sixth day of the eighth-day huddle at the Sheridan Cadillac Hotel was a question which won't be solved easily, slow play on golf courses. President Horton Smith lashed out at slow play, teaming it as a creeping paralysis harming the nation's golf habits. Delegates took Smith at his word and passed a resolution vowing to exert vital influence upon speeding up play. In 1936, the talk of the golfing world for penalizing slow play was instant disqualification. Eighteen years later, slow play persisted, and no golfers that I am aware of were disqualified. On November 14, 1954, the London Observer published an article aptly named Slowly Does It by R.C. Robertson. There is a report undoubtedly welcome to all those who have the welfare of the royal and ancient game at heart that unnecessarily slow play at golf is going to be penalized. Offenders are to be fined two strokes in medal round, one hole in match play. These humane sentences are to be imposed by specifically appointed professional watchers. In the course of nearly two decades, the threat of disqualification did not fight off the tide of slow play. So in response, the RNA drafted rules which penalize slow players either two strokes or one hole, depending on metal or match play. Fast forward four years. On January 23, 1958, the AP picks up a story, Study Slow Play Golf, Chicago. Invoking the penalty of the United States Golf Association's slow play rule is due for discussion by the United States Golf Executive Committee, which opens a two-day meeting today. The 15-man committee session proceeds on the 64th annual meeting of the USGA Saturday. Undue delay by players under USGA Rule 37 calls for these penalties, match play, loss of hole, stroke play, two strokes, repeat offense, disqualification. The penalty has never been invoked that I know of, said Joe Day, USGA Executive Director, but undue delay or slowness has happened frequently. The players have been very cooperative and have been told to speed it up. The slowness in most cases happens because they are absorbed in what they are doing. A mere four months later, on May 6, 1958, we get a better idea of slow play for the non-elite amateur, the average Joe, in the Azkabana Daily Press. Warren Orlick, the veteran Tam O'Shanter professional, is a bug on the rules. President of the Michigan section of the Professional Golfers Association, Orlick also is National Rules Chairman for the PGA. He has some definite ideas on ways to improve the game for both players and spectators. Because of the shortage of courses, today's biggest problem is slow play, says Orlick. According to Orlick, the average foursome takes about five hours to complete 18 holes. By following basic rules and using common sense, that can be trimmed down to three and a half hours. So by 1958, or better said, 60 years ago, five-hour rounds were the average. Be that an overstated statistic by Orlick or not, the concept of slow play matches our modern definition. Today, some on social media blame the modern driver or the multi-layered ball for slow play, but ultimately this is a man-made issue. Pace of play determines the longevity of a round just as it did 60 years ago. 
Two more articles of interest. Let's jump ahead 25 years to 1983. The Madison Capital Times issue of June 9th, titled PGA Upset Over Slow Play. PGA Tour officials concerned about complaints of slow play are closely monitoring the first round of the $450,000 Manufacturer's Hanover Westchester Golf Classic at Harrison, New York. Slow play, greatly in evidence in last week's Kemper Open, is a serious problem, Tour Commissioner Dean Beeman said Wednesday. We cannot live with what we have now. We cannot live with this current situation. We will take a look at this problem immediately. And an immediate toughening of penalties for slow play could be forthcoming. Beeman said, Recommendations for increasing penalties may be made to a meeting tonight of the PGA Tour Policy Board. The precise nature of those penalties, however, were not revealed. We will look at a lot of different options, Beeman said. Fines of $200 apiece were levied against six players, including winner Fred Couples, for slow play during Sunday's final round at the Kemper. Eight years later, the Desert Sun on Wednesday, June 5, 1991, published an article titled, PGA Votes to Crack Down on Slow Play. Rye, New York. The PGA Tour Tournament Policy Board voted Tuesday to stiffen penalties for slow play. PGA Tour Commissioner Dean Beeman said the new rules will be enforced beginning June 20th at the Anheuser-Busch Classic in Williamsburg, Virginia. The change calls for a $500 fine for a second violation of the 45-second rule. The first violation begins with a warning. Players are allowed to take no more than 45 seconds to play a shot after their turn comes. The third infraction will produce a second $500 fine, and the fourth a $500 fine and a two-stroke penalty. In the past, the progression did not begin until the fourth infraction. Slow play, it seems, is a story as old as the game of golf. And in 2019, again, we hear the growing discontent by our ruling bodies. We have 80 years of strong words with little to show for it. Today, I share these articles with you not to discourage you, but rather to embolden you. Social media has given us all a voice, even this lowly golf historian, to do our best to make a difference. If history is worth anything, let us take a moment to learn from our past and create a faster round for golfers in the future. In my own words, it's okay to suck at golf, just suck fast. This was a special edition of Golf from the Fringe by Connor T. Lewis and the Society of Golf Historians. Music in this episode is used under Creative Commons license. It's by Kevin McLeod and comes from filmmusic.io. Visit incompotech.com for more of Kevin's material. See show notes for direct links. <laughs> <laughs>